Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, and welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. I'm Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa, and I am thrilled to have our guest here who has somewhat quietly built one of the largest and most influential RIA firms in the business. I'm pleased to introduce our audience to Chris Kirkhoff, who is the president and CEO of PlantCorp. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. I look forward to it. So as all of our listeners know, RIA Edge is really designed to talk about growth, um, not accidental or incidental growth, but really intentional growth. And I think you have one of quite possibly the best growth stories in the RIA industry. At now roughly $6 billion in assets under management, I've from a distance seen you on a number of lists, rankings, and, and award programs that recognize all the great things that PlantCorp has done to establish its position in the market. But I don't know enough about the history and the story. I know you started out relatively small, and I know that you've been there for a while, but I don't know everything that you needed to do to get where you are today. So before we get into some of the specifics, would you mind just giving a brief overview of PlantCorp, the way you're structured, number of employees you have, and also just some context on your role and how long you've been with the firm during its journey? Sure, absolutely. So I think it's always helpful to have some historical context. Uh, PlanCorp, we're pretty proud of the fact we were started in 1983 by Jeff Buckner, who is our founder. And we were one of the first, as best we can tell, fee-only financial advisory firms in the country. And you know, the idea was it's become commonplace now, but uh, you know, back then having a fee-only company that was giving advice and not selling product was very unique. So Jeff, in fact, just did financial planning for the first eight to nine years of the business. And it wasn't until the early 90s that he started taking discretionary management of assets on behalf of clients as as no-load products started to become readily available. So fast forward a few years from there, I joined the firm in 1997 at the ripe age of 21, right out of school. Uh, there were five of us here at the time, about 185 million under management. And so the, the world looked quite different uh, then than what it looks like today. But you know, we were very fortunate over time to continue to attract great people to come work at PlanCorp, uh, which helped us attract you know, great clients. And we've always been very, very focused on just delivering in a, as much value as we can to the end client in that objective fiduciary uh, lens. And then just trying to attract great people to help us continue to grow and focusing on how do we attract them? How do we train them? How do we develop them? And with the idea towards, you know, really growing something that's bigger than any of us individually, that's even how we've structured the company. So PlanCorp in in many ways is unique, we feel, but one of the ways we're unique is we we don't have books of business. So I've been here almost 25 years now. I don't have a book of my clients. Uh, no advisor at PlanCorp has a book of their clients. We all operate as a team. 
be people with different areas of expertise. Uh, we want to make sure that clients have full access to any of those folks, uh, depending on what needs they have at that particular time. So we feel like that's that's really how we design the firm to make most helpful to clients and how we can drive the most value to clients over time. Uh, so then kind of fast forward again to 2010, Jeff's, Jeff Buckner, Steve Frank, and Larry Legrand, the then owners of Plan Corp, wanted to start down a succession path. And they decided after talking to a number of outside players to move forward with an internal succession plan. And I was the first of the next generation of shareholders in uh, June of 2010. Um, and I'm happy to say now, as of the end of 2021, we just completed the final uh, buyout of uh, Jeff, Stephen, Larry's interests. Uh, we now have 20 employee shareholders. So pretty, pretty excited that we've we've started this new chapter. The the past chapters have all been excellent as well. Uh, a lot of growth has happened, as you, as you mentioned there, that I know we're going to spend some time on today. But it's it's been a great uh, uh, fun ride. But in many ways, I feel like we're we're kind of just getting started here in terms of what's to come. Sure. And I can certainly understand you know, the way you've talked about the succession progression, if you will, why and how this might feel like a new beginning or a 2.0 or maybe even a 3.0. Um, yeah. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about how having that level of sort of equity ownership distributed across the firm can actually contribute to your future growth. But before we do that, I just want to settle on one thing. So our audience, and we all have a good understanding of you know, who is the core client or client type for PlanCorp? And I know you serve you know, institutions as well, but if you wouldn't mind just giving us an overview and a profile for your you know, core clients, that would be very helpful as well. Yeah, sure. So we're really humbled to be able to serve about 1,500 client households today. And our average client is somewhere right around that 4 to $5 million under management. Now, averages, as we all know, obscure maybe the, the uh, typical because also in those numbers, we, we do have a multifamily office practice where the average net worth is you know well over $100 million for most of those families. So our typical client, I would say, is somebody who is in the stage where they're starting to build significant wealth and they feel like uh, their situation has, from a financial standpoint, has become more complex and they really need some, some comprehensive guidance uh, we always like to say we want to be the first phone call for anything financial uh, that a client might think of. So, yeah, that's our typical client. They tip, they break down generally into corporate executives and business owners. Got it. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, and now, focusing a little bit more on your growth, being at six billion in assets and having you know really some of the most significant growth in the industry overall. I'm, curious you know what's contributed to that we've seen lots of firms that have grown very significantly and very quickly by just doing a number of acquisitions but i i don't think that's the plant corp story here so if you wouldn't mind can you maybe identify some of the top two or three things that have contributed to your growth over the last you know, decade or so sure so it starts with as i said before you know really being focused uh, on delivering value to the clients and like i said even how we've organized the firm is is really with that with that lens on first and foremost and so client you know referrals have been the core driver of most of our growth we we also have just embedded in our culture this focus on continuous improvement even like a dedication to continuous improvement 
So I'm, I'm a big fan and love the book Atomic Habits, uh, if you're familiar with that one by James Clear. Yeah. And the, this idea that if you just make incremental improvements over time, that compound impact just is magnificent. And so that's really been the story of PlanCorp is being intentional about the fact that we all have a responsibility here to contribute to growth. Our view on client service and, and how we show up to clients and, and deliver value is really one where client referrals are, to me, the best proof point um, that we're, we're truly exceeding client expectations. I mean, you can send out, uh, and I don't, I'm not saying this in a demeaning fashion, you can send out polls, you can get surveys and information back. But at the end of the day, unless you're getting clients who are actively referring you to their friends, family, their network, I would challenge people to ask, are they really delivering the type of value that is impacting clients' lives? Um, so that's that's one of the things we've just been very open with our entire team about, that we don't need everybody out there networking like crazy and, and um, trying to be a rainmaker. We have people who are definitely in that rainmaker category, but we do need everyone delivering the type of client experience that's going to produce those raving fans who are going to go out there and, and help us, help introduce us to more people that we can help. And then the last thing I would say is we... This happened in 2011, pretty early on in, in me being named president of the firm, just an idea that we really needed to have someone in the role in charge of driving growth, that without some accountability there, you, you can talk about it all you want, but until you start to measure what's creating the growth, until you start to measure the growth itself in meaningful ways in real time and start holding people some, to some accountability you know, then, then the growth is unlikely to just manifest itself. And what is the, just out of curiosity, what is the title or what is that role specifically within the organization? I've heard a little bit more from some other firms that we've had on RA Edge about these types of positions, but be curious to, to get a sense for how it's positioned within your firm. Sure. At PlanCorp, it's the head of new business development. So it's, okay. you know, it's the person that's that's charged with that. And it is someone who wears multiple hats here. So mm-hmm. I don't, we're, we're still a nimble enough organization. There's still people who are wearing multiple hats here, but yeah, that's, that's the role that, you know, for, for us. But you have a dedicated owner. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've mm-hmm. heard a couple of others, you know, there was an interview we did recently, we were talking about the emergence of this chief growth officer. Um, yeah. where they have lots of different responsibilities. They're involved in M&A as well. So it's you know, not necessarily as focused as the role that you have, but it's good to hear and it's good to see because it just show, goes to show how intentional you know, some of the best firms in the industry are becoming and where you know, the responsibility lives um, within the organization. On the referral side, just to ask a couple of specific follow-up questions. Sure. Do you have a formal referral policy in place? And if you do, what does that look like? And I ask because there are some firms that think they do, but it may just be something in their email signature that you know, suggests if you're happy <laughs> with the service here, please yeah. recommend us to a friend. Um, but I get the sense if that's what's been really your your lifeline uh, or lifeblood, uh, I should say, excuse me, that you have a more structured process around that. Yeah. So I have to uh, acknowledge Dan Allison here, who I don't know if you know Dan, but we've worked with him uh, a number of times to come in and, and help coach our people on how to just have a respectful conversation. It's about feedback and opening yourself up to feedback with the client mm-hmm. and then having a very honest conversation around the fact that you know we grow from referrals and we 
we would love to talk to anyone, you know, and, and just asking for referrals is, is really the guy is the truth. Most mm-hmm. people don't ask. Um, you know, again, I'm kind of stealing Dan's lines here, but yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's more people just say, yeah, let us know if we can help. And it's instead of saying, do you know anyone that could use our help? Those are two very different things. And, um, because an, a question causes people more often than not to actually think about it. Whereas if you just make a statement people go, oh, sure. And it, it's just out of sight, out of mind then. So just really getting intentional about asking mm-hmm. and letting clients know that you, you do want to grow. And we're fortunate that we don't need growth for um, a particular like earnings call or anything like that, or answering to uh, some, some other shareholder that's out there. You know, we need to grow because growth is what helps us continue to attract the, the best talent to help service our clients and to be able to retain them and allow for, you know, a successful career here. That, that's the reason for our growth. Oh, that's helpful. And I appreciate it. And I, I also would just love to get a sense, you know, I look at the growth of a lot of RA firms I've seen for years, you know, anywhere from half to two thirds of the net new assets could come from referrals. The other parts though, whether it's dedicated business development, marketing at a broader level, um, we're seeing some sort of progress in certain areas, but yeah. um, it's been pretty flat or stable, if you will. Um, how do you actually think about the relationship between you know, marketing, business development, and referrals? It's a, it's a great question and something we're about, I guess we're starting year three of really ramping up marketing efforts. And we've definitely seen some, some results from that last year in particular. So I think there's real opportunity for us to continue to explore and expand that. But you know, we, we're always very careful as well to stay true to our our brand and our values and our culture. And so, you know, we're taking it, you know, slowly because we want to make sure that it's it's in line with who we are and what we're about. But I, I do think that as as time moves on here, right? I mean, most people when they think they need some help or they want to talk to an advisor, they're either going to talk to like a trusted advisor, like an attorney or CPA, they're going to talk to friends and family, or they're going to go out and Google firms on the internet, right? And so mm-hmm. Um, that's, you're trying to make sure you're showing up for those people who are, you know, first and foremost going online to do a search. We want to make sure we're present there and that we're, we're helpful in the conversation and make sure that people have a good sense of who we are. So we're attracting the right clients that we can deliver value to. And I can certainly appreciate the way you're thinking about it. That's one of the interesting dynamics of this space. I think wealth management firms in general can get a hard time for not being quote, you know, great marketers. And in a lot of ways, growth has come from one-to-one referrals, um, like you've talked about before, but from a marketing perspective, you also have a really well-defined client type that you want to be working with. So getting on a radio show, right. Or doing your own podcast like this, uh, might get you attention, but it might not get you meaningful you know, engagement with the types of people that you want to be talking to. So at a minimum, you just mentioned the Google search piece. That's the first thing everybody does <laughs> when right. you know, they hear your name, uh, or they hear the company's name. So you have to obviously make sure that you're clearly articulating who you are, you know, what you do that is unique. Um, and ultimately why they want to reach out to you. Um, is, are there any lessons from a marketing perspective that you might share with our audience who might be struggling to try and figure out what it is that they need to do to make sure that they're really representing themselves in the right way? 
I think the lesson is that it it takes more time than you would like it to take. It <laughs> takes more dollars than you'd like it to take. It, but at the end of the day, I think the biggest learning is to just do your best to focus on measuring what's working and what's not working. And if to the extent you're going to, everybody, I feel like maybe, maybe I'm just, uh, maybe we're not, maybe we're the only ones, but I feel like everybody fails in marketing <laughs> at some level. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like go through those fits, you'll just fail quickly and learn and, and move on and then be honest about what your cost of acquisition is for, you know, the clients that you're able to attract via marketing, because at the end of the day, the question really does become, is it worth it for all firms to do marketing? And I, I don't really actually know the answer to that. I, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good opinion for PlanCorp that it's worth it, but I, I can't sit here and say for every firm, they should be out there uh, spending the money that it takes and, and the time it takes um, to do that. I, I don't know the answer. I think some people are really gifted at marketing. I'm not yeah. one of those people, by the way, <laughs> like if I were <laughs> running my own firm, I, you know, by myself as a solo practitioner, marketing would not really be on my <laughs> list of things to do. Cause I'm, it's just not a natural talent, but, um, I think, you know, for some people it is, and, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's great, you know, for larger firms, marketing is, becomes this, you know, its own team that you've got dedicated inside and maybe some outside vendors, it becomes a, a budget line item, right. That you're, you're determining what the return on that investment is. But I think at, at a high level, it's just making sure you're really measuring what's working, what's not move on from what's not working and then continue to just keep an eye on what it's really costing you to, you know, acquire contacts and clients. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's that measurement to making sure you're again, back to continuous improvement, just continuing to see the trend lines, you know, over time improve and determining whether or not, you know, that's worth your time and efforts or if your, your efforts are, are better spent elsewhere. Spoken like a true financial advisor. If your investment isn't producing <laughs> a return or the return you want, it's time to move on. Uh, but no, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I do want to shift gears a little bit to talk about, you know, we've discussed the organic growth side of things, but just the inorganic growth, uh, whether it's M&A or just the acquisition and recruiting of you know, talent um, that, that has aided your growth. So can you just give a little bit of an overview and maybe some background on how any of those inorganic efforts have contributed to your growth most significantly? Sure. We, we've had uh, very little inorganic growth. And by the way of M&A, we, you know, we have acquired uh, a firm in the past. Uh, it was more of a acquisition hire kind of combo a uh, firm with about 110 million under management went very well. It's been great that, you know, the owner of that firm is still with us, still a partner shareholder here at PlanCorp, a uh, valuable member of the team. And so it's interesting that went so well that we haven't done one since. That was in 2015, <laughs> if I'm getting the, the year right. It's not that we haven't had a number of conversations, but I've just, I've spent time on M&A uh, we've got a pretty focused strategy on M&A, but I describe it as, you know, we're looking for needles in a haystack and I don't, I think time is better spent doing other things than sorting through the haystack. When, you know, people approach us or when we get introductions or kind of almost stumble into conversations, we take them seriously and we, we definitely have kind of a process that we follow. We got you know, reasonably deep into some conversations last year with a firm 
But at the end of the day, it, you know, culture is everything. I, obviously, that's like a broken record out there when you talk about M&A. But for us, it's, it's really critical that we're doing it for the right reason. And we are at, at the core of everything else. You know, we put the clients first and then our team is very collaborative. And I've described as many times as a teaching hospital, right? We have to, you know, teach our young people and be constant mentors, uh, give them feedback directly. That's how they grow. That's how they get better. And if somebody's not up for that, and there's plenty of folks who aren't, then we're just not a great fit. And, you know, there's, there's other great companies, many of whom I know well, that are great spots uh, for people looking to be acquired. And I'm happy to pe- point people in that direction. But yeah, I, I, so I, I don't want to give the impression we're not open to M&A. We're very, yeah. I get very excited about that. But it really is, it has to be done for the right reason. It has to be uh, a, really a perfect fit for us uh, because we don't, we don't need to do M&A from our perspective. So um, I think it's an opportunity because there are advisors who I've talked to. And one of the first things I say is, you can do this. You can grow your own firm. You can be very successful. Um, I'd be a hypocrite if I said otherwise, right? I've been through that journey and if I can do it, a lot of other people can do it. But you know, if your passion is working with clients, the reality is, you know, growing your own firm means you're going to, at some point in your career, likely spend less and less time working with clients and more and more time working on the business. And if that's not the path you want to take, then you know, joining a firm, you know, is going to be a route that's very much worth exploring. So, you know, that and the fact that as the industry, the independent RA space has evolved, I think it is challenging um, when you think about a single advisor developing a niche practice and a value proposition. That's, you know, that's hard enough in and of itself, but it's, it's doable, right? But then mm-hmm. you think about, okay, if that advisor brings on more advisors and they grow, what differentiates that next billion dollar firm from all the current billion-dollar firms that are out there. That, that's, I think, where the interesting question arises. I'm not saying it, it, there, there aren't ways to differentiate it at all. I'm not trying to be a naysayer. I'm just saying that is kind of, it's, it's a more difficult challenge, just to be honest. I think about 10 years ago or 15 years ago, there weren't that many billion-dollar firms. So just getting mm-hmm. to a certain size in and of itself was a differentiator. Now, you know, you're talking about some of these, some of the independent RA are over a hundred billion in, in assets. I yeah. mean, so, you know, that size is not a differentiator anymore. It, it opens up some opportunities to do some different things and grow in different ways. But so I, I think the challenge is just different. So, sorry, I feel like I maybe got off on a tangent there. But. No, I think that that's actually great to hear because there's so much attention paid to M&A in this space, especially you look over the last several years and you've seen how much merger and acquisition activity there's been in the RAA space. Uh, And there are a number of reasons for that, but it's interesting to get the perspective of a firm that has not necessarily directly participated in that or isn't prioritizing it, at least as a way to drive growth. Um, And I could certainly appreciate when you went back and talked about the transition from the original founder, you you went with an internal you know, transaction. Um, and maybe it suggests that it's in your DNA, right? Um, <laughs> to keep it in the family. Um, I definitely have and, a bias. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I am actually curious. I, I wanted to come back to it because you know, I'd like to learn a little bit more just about the team and the structure and how that's contributed to growth. Um, since you started 
to bring partners on. And you said you have about 22 employees that are equity owners now. Is that correct? Uh, 20 employee owners. 20. Okay. Sorry. Um, how have you seen things change, whether it's you know, the culture or just the inclination to contribute to the future uh, Plant Corp's growth? How have you seen changes since that program you know, was implemented and started to bring more and more people into the mix? Absolutely. I, I mean, for us, it's been it's been huge in terms of. Uh, I first think about the reaction that we got from clients when we back in 2010 we announced the beginning of the succession plan. The response we got from clients was overwhelmingly positive, and it, it was interesting just to hear from so many clients that they had been waiting to hear, like, "Well, what is the plan?" Right? I mean. You know, one thing we all know is everybody gets older. So it's like, this is not a secret that everyone's aging. And, and so uh, as our, you know, founding members were, were getting older, it was on our clients' minds. And it's like the polite thing not to ask for most clients, I guess. So that was a great response. So that's, that's number one is the engagement we got with our clients in the conversation was huge. But the other thing is we've continued to bring on more owners is the level of engagement and alignment amongst the the ownership group here is exceptionally high. I think, you know, knowing you're all driving towards a common goal and, you know, sharing this common vision, it's there's you know, there's just untold benefits to it. So, I, you know, I think the, the the highest level it's the alignment, it's the energy that comes from that. Um, those would be the the top things that I would point to. Well, that's great. I mean, everybody has a piece of it, right? Quite literally, sure. um, and is rowing in the right direction, um, or rowing in the same direction, I should say. Um, and before we just move on from that, the, I should also ask a little bit about. Obviously, we're in the news last year, um, of the summer, with the uh, Sinister Group uh, making a direct equity investment in Plant Corp. Could you just provide a little bit more color there, and you know, more specifically, what does having a partnership like that do for Plant Corp and Plant Corp's growth potential? Sure. Well, you know, Sinusure is has been a great, you know, partner. We've actually been involved with them in some level uh, since 2017. And so they've they've been just fantastic to work with. For us, the biggest benefit that's come from having outside capital, and they're they're mostly a family office. I mean, they're they're kind of pivoting yeah. a bit to private equity, but they're patient long-term capital, which is what we're looking for in, in a capital partner. And it's access for us to be able to complete the succession plan, you know, more gracefully, I'll say, and certainly with less debt. <laughs> and somebody who's a, also a thought leader in the marketplace around M&A, again, even though it's not, it's not core to our strategy, it's something we do think if I look out over the next, you know, three, five, 10 years, it's something we're going to be more heavily involved with as the industry continues to consolidate you know, there's no question it's going to play a role. So having uh, a group of folks that two of Sinusure partners sit on our board and having their insights um, and wisdom just around M&A and, you know, on managing a successful uh, growing company has been very, very valuable. Yeah. And, and they're also obviously familiar with the space, invested in some other you know, firms yes. and just having that perspective into how another company, right? Different region, different size, different clients, um, how they may be dealing with challenges and opportunities has to be you know, very valuable to have that outside perspective as well. 
So, and you did mention M&A potentially as a future growth driver. It's really where I just wanted to, to end the conversation here today is just looking ahead a bit. Um, as you think about and evaluate some of the most significant opportunities for Plant Corp to continue to grow over the next several years, uh, where, where do you see you know, the most and the best opportunities? Well, I continue to think, you know, we, we sit in a very fortunate seat, and this is true of all independent RAs, uh, especially on the fee-only side of the coin. You know, there are so many people that still truly need our help. And, you know, so we're, we're very fortunate to wake up every day and to be in a business where we, we are truly helping people that need it. And that's a, that's a big opportunity that's out there for all of us. So I think client referrals are going to continue to be a driver of growth for us. I think continuing to attract great talent, which we've been very fortunate to do by kind of staying true to who we are and what we're about is going to be another driver of growth. I mean, at the end of the day, it's our people that, that drive the growth as much as anything else. I do think, you know, we touched on digital marketing. I think that's going to expand. We all know everyone's spending more and more time you know, on mobile devices, on different social media platforms, we've got to show up there. And I think as we do, we will continue to see some acceleration of growth there. I think M&A will, like I mentioned, I think it's going to play a larger role for our organization, probably more, you know, we're not looking to get into to big acquisitions, but just making sure we're a spot where as an advisor grows in their own practice, if they reach that ceiling of complexity, or they've decided, you know, their, their passion really rests in in servicing clients and bringing on new clients, and they don't want to manage a company. That's just not what they're passionate about. I think we we're a great landing spot for them, where they can continue to play a pivotal role in leadership, in being a, a critical component of a company. We're we're of a nice size, but we're not at a, at a size where you know the next new person, the next new owner. They're, they're important to us. They're really, really critically important to us. And I, I know that every person is important to every organization, but, you know, as you get bigger, the next, you know, if you're at 50 billion or, you know, hundred billion, you know, the next acquisition, if you've done 20 of them in a year, you know, there's a, they just, they look different. It feels different. Um, and I'm not saying it's bad or good. It's just different. And so I, I think, um, I think we will show up as one of those spots that, you know, for the right firm where there's good alignment, it makes sense. The last driver of growth for us, we have a, a sister firm that we've got a strategic partnership with, Bright Plan, uh, that we're really excited about. You know, we we've helped we've helped get them launched over, since 2017 and, and they're focused on financial wellness uh, as an employee benefit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge space to play a role in in delivering um, <clears throat> excuse me, financial advice to to more people. Uh, with a fiduciary mindset is just a really exciting project to be involved with at any level. And for some of the executives at those companies that want to have a dedicated human advisor, we think we have an opportunity to to play a role for them and, and be a, a good spot to, again, deliver tremendous value. Uh, because you know through our relationship with BrightPlan, we know those company benefits inside and out. And so we you know, we've had success over the years and had a number of clients that are concentrated in different companies where we, we just really get to know all of the different benefit plans, the comp plans, the equity comp plans, get to know the HR teams well. And, you know, there's a lot of complexity that happens from a company benefit standpoint, and we can be, you know, a great solution for those folks. So I think that's 
that's another opportunity for growth. Us, we hadn't talked about it yet today, but as I look forward, I think there's there's tremendous excitement. I know from being able to help uh, a broader part of the population as an employee benefit and to play some role there. And then you know, for those people who have more of a complex situation, for PlanCorp to be the, the human advisory solution for them. I think it's a a great note to end on, and we'll actually have to have you come back on. We could probably do an entire podcast about the opportunities with wellness. Um, We we talked about it quite a bit, just the convergence of retirement plan advice, benefits, and wealth management. Um, And there's a huge need, and we know that it's not decreasing anytime soon. And sometimes it's just about connecting the dots. Um, So I appreciate you bringing that up, and we'll have to schedule a part two and we'll give you (laughs) a year so we can come back and benchmark it um, as you probably already are. Um, But Chris, thank you so much for taking time to sit with me here today and share a little bit more about the growth story for Plant Corp and congrats on all the success. I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you very much. Again, thank you to our listeners for joining. And we are very, very grateful to Chris and the Plant Corp team for sharing time, thoughts, and perspective on their growth strategies On behalf of the Wealth Management Group here at Informa, again, I'm Mark Bruno. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Thank you to everybody for joining us again here today. And we look forward to having you back on another episode of RIA Edge soon. Take care. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RAA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RAA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.